Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Um, in my home to share his story is a is a brand new return missionary, um, gay member of our church, Elder Jacob Troxel. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I came across um, Jacob on Facebook somehow and became connected with him. And as I looked at his profile, he's serving up in Canada. And I, I think he said he loves to eat, loves the outdoors, and is a gay Christian. And then full-time missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And he represents just a handful of brave Latter-day Saints that are out prior to their mission, that are out on their mission. And i um, so glad to have him on the podcast to share his story. I think Jacob will just talk with, you know, realizing he's not straight, um, coming out. I think he came out at age 17. He grew up in California. And then his decision to be out on his mission, um, including public on Facebook. And, and this might be helpful for those of you that are um, queer and considering serving a mission. Should I be out? Should I not be out? What's it like to be out as a missionary? There's just a few of you that are, I'm aware of, that are out and serving or have served and were out. It's not for everybody to be out. Um, I think Jacob will probably talk about that. Um, we said a prayer before we started. Um, I've been visiting with Jacob for the last 20 minutes. This is a mature, thoughtful, deeply spiritual, good man who served in terrific missionary um, leadership assignments, service assignments service in within that assignment helped many people to be baptized and come closer to Christ through our church and um, has been stretched because of his sexual orientation. And sometimes I wonder if those that have to rely on God just learn to have a deeper, I don't want to say that straight members don't have that relationship, but there's something about being stretched that helps um, often increase your relationship with God and, and the Savior to find hope and healing and um, personal revelation in your life. Is that okay for an introduction? I think that was great. So I will just turn it over to you, Jacob, to share your story. Okay. So let I me just say also, <laughs> these are my introduction notes. Jacob's headed up to BYU, Idaho, um, pursuing a degree in psychology and would like to be a therapist, um, perhaps helping LGBTQ people. So he may touch about that, but just a little bit more of an introduction. So now you're on. <laughs> awesome. So I would say a lot of it really starts when I'm about 11 years old. I think, oh, I guess before that point, I lived a pretty black and white life. I think a lot of people live very black and white wives as children. Like it's either good or it's bad. Things are simple. Things make sense. Like the only terrible thing in my life was that me and one of my older sisters would fight occasionally. And that was like the only bad thing. And I remember when I was about 11 years old, there was a big shift in my family dynamic that really kind of shook my foundation because my family was my whole foundation. My family was everything to me. And this event really just shattered that foundation for me. So I, I, was, in, I was in this position where I was feeling lost. I was really confused by a lot of things. And to put on top of that, I started to realize that some of these feelings that I was having that everyone else probably wasn't having these feelings as well. Feelings of that same sex attraction where I always felt drawn to boys in a different way than I did to girls. And I had been wrestling with the idea for a while. I remember when, when I finally came to terms with 
that I had an attraction to boys. I think I was 13, 12 or 13. I was walking a friend home from the park. They're a few years younger than I am. And we stopped by our friend's house because their car had just pulled in. Their mom was taking them home from water polo practice. I hadn't seen this friend in months because they were in high school now and they were super busy. And they come out and they're just wearing a towel. And water polo players are usually very fit. And I remember I saw them just wearing a towel and my face went bright red and I freaked out. <laughs> like my friend, I go, hey, it's time to go home right now. I go, bye, sorry. And then I just, I ran home dragging my friend behind me. I remember it was in that moment I was like, okay, this isn't something everyone else is feeling. Like th this is, this isn't something everyone else is experiencing. And that's, that's when I really started to accept the fact. And I, I didn't accept that fact easily because growing up in the church, I had never heard anything good about anyone in the LGBTQ community. I just heard awful things from family members and awful things even over the pulpit. Like I had never heard anything positively said. And I, I've, I came to terms as like, okay, I can, I can admit that I'm bisexual. And then some time would pass and I would ponder more. And I'm like, okay, I can admit the fact that I like boys more than girls, but I still like girls and I'm still going to marry a woman. And then I go, okay, I like boys 90%. I like girls 10%. And along that path of me figuring out who I like and what I like and who I am, it was so much for me to carry. It, it was suffocating. I've always been someone that's been really express, expressive with my emotions. I've always been someone who loves to talk about the way that I feel. And this is a major component of my life, of anyone's life who feels like this. And the fact that I, I had told no one about this, it was, it was destroying me. I had a weekly meeting with my bishop and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed to know if I should tell my bishop. And... So I'm, I'm sitting in the room with Bishop and we finish our meeting and I go, hey, Bishop, there's one more thing I wanted to talk about. He goes, okay. I take a few seconds and I go, and I came out as bisexual before I came on it as gay. I go, Bishop, I'm bi. And there was a pause and that pause felt like an eternity to me. And he kind of looked around for a second and then he looked back at me. And he goes, Jacob, there's nothing in this world that would ever take the love of Heavenly Father away from you. He loves you. I love you. Your parents love you. You're not a mistake. It's going to be hard for you in this predominantly heterosexual church. But know that no matter what you choose or what you do with your life or who you become, those chapel doors are always open to you no matter what. And I... I I earnestly believe if I did not get that response from my bishop that I would not be an active member today. Just because the first response from telling anyone, especially a leader in the church, was just so outpouring with love. It, it changed my entire life. And I think later that week I had been praying and I had praying and praying and I ended up coming out to my parents as well. Remember... We were sitting in a family home evening and the spirit was there. We were just laughing. We we're having a good time. And then we ended family home evening and we were watching TV and the spirit was like, this is your chance. 
I've given you the chance a bunch of times and you haven't taken it. This is the best chance you've got right now. And very non-confidently go, hey, can I tell you, can, can we talk? And they go, yeah. And they pause the TV and I kind of just sit there for a minute. I go, well, I've been wanting to tell this to you guys for a while now. And then I pause and I stare at them for about a minute. And then I look to the ground for a few minutes. And then I just started sobbing uncontrollably. I just started crying and crying and crying. And I, I just couldn't stop crying. I was just so afraid. So afraid of what they might think of me. So afraid of what might happen, of what they might say. And remember, as I was sobbing, I just, I blurted out, all I really want to do is make you guys proud. And then after a few more minutes of crying, I just, I said, I'm bisexual. And there was kind of a pause. And then I remember my mom waves me over. She was sitting on the other couch. She waves me over and she just helped me as I just sobbed into her. And my dad goes, Jake, you're our boy. And nothing can ever change that. So that was also, I'm, I recognize how blessed I am. I've, I've heard other stories of people coming out and them not being so fortunate. And that breaks my heart to hear. And I, I, I recognize the privileges that I had and the wonderful family members that I had. But I also did have a lot of really difficult conversations with my parents, ones that would often hurt my feelings, ones that would often hurt their feelings, ones that would hurt both of our feelings. Like it, it was a difficult transition for everyone. And then I started slowly coming out to the people I trusted most with extensive prayer. I didn't come out to someone unless I extensively prayed about it beforehand. And I remember when when i realized that i was gay it took a lot of long conversations a lot of talking to my really close friends my age and i think i knew the whole time in my heart of hearts but i just i wasn't willing to accept it and i was like well i gotta tell my parents now and i did it with really poor timing we're hosting a dinner party at our house and our house is, was isn't the biggest house in california and so my mom's stressed. She's doing the dishes. Everyone's sitting in our small living room talking, and it's loud. My mom's doing the dishes, and I walk over, and I go, hey, do you need help with the dishes? He goes, no, no, no. You can go sit down. I think she's just wanting some time alone. I go, okay. And I get really awkwardly close to her. I'm like, hey. She goes, oh, what? <laughs> go, so you remember that one time I told you I was bi? And <laughs> she kind of stops washing the dishes. She goes, Yes. I go, I'm actually gay. She goes, okay. <laughs> and then there's just a really awkward pause. And she's like, hmm. And she walked upstairs for a minute. And then she texted me. She's like, bad timing. I had to use the bathroom. I love you still. <laughs> I love you too, mom. I guess we just didn't have the great timing together. And she ended up telling my dad, which she asked if she could. And I, I said she couldn't. And I think that was the point when I was truly honest with myself and truly honest with them is, is when it started to move forward a lot better in that relationship. Remind our listeners kind of what age you are right now. 16. Okay. So I came out to my bishop 
a little after I turned 16 to my parents a little bit later and then to close friends after that. And amidst this whole thing, I didn't believe that God loved me. I believed in God. I believed in the church, but I I did not have a testimony of God's love whatsoever. I believed that he loved everyone else, but I, I was the exception, which I'm sure there, there are many LGBTQ members who can relate to that feeling. And I'm sure there are tons of straight members that can relate to that feeling too. But I just, I earnestly did not believe God loved me. It's almost like I had a testimony that he didn't love me just because of the things people would say about people like me. How, how could a loving God, if my church leader is saying that about someone like me, that's not compatible. And time goes forward a little bit. And I remember it's COVID time. I'm not working anymore because COVID stopped my job. I'm not in school. High school is awful for me. I was not all of it, but most of it. I was bullied in high school. I didn't have a good social structure. I didn't have the best friends. I was severely depressed. I was having those suicidal ideations quite often. And then COVID happened. COVID was really my saving grace because I was just by myself with my parents. It was like my safe space. And I'm about 17 now. And I was like, okay, well, if I have all this time, I really, I really ought to figure out this whole God thing. I really ought to figure out who he is, who he is to me and what he thinks about me. So I spent a lot of time over a few weeks during COVID really pondering the, the nature of God and studying and praying. And one night I, re- I put myself to just, I was going to figure it out who God is and who he is to me. And so I settled on three basic truths about who God is. And I was going to use that as my foundation during this process. I settled that God is perfect. He is our heavenly father and he is loving. And I'm going back and forth and I'm honestly trying to disprove one of these points. Because if one of these points is not true, the other two would not be true by default. And then I wouldn't have to do it anymore. I wouldn't have to do the whole Mormon thing. I wouldn't have to do it. But as I'm going back and forth, they would support each other. I thought, I'm 17 years old. I have had some extremely traumatic experiences that no one else I my age that I know personally have experienced. How could a loving Heavenly Father let this happen to me? And I, thought, I had the thoughts like, well, your very imperfect earthly father loves you more than you can imagine. So a perfect heavenly father would have to love you. So I'm going back and forth in my head for that for about 15 minutes. And then my head just clears. And I, I have a very hyperactive brain. There's always 80 different thoughts going in different di- uh, directions at all times. And just, it all stopped. It was completely silent. I don't think I've ever had another moment like that where it was just silence. And I'm sitting there and it's, it's just, it just feels like that for about a minute. And then it was like a light went off in the room. I, I didn't have this overwhelming rush of emotion. And it's, it's impossible to explain with words, the experience that happened. So any kind of explanation that I give is inadequate to what really happened. But the knowledge that God loved me, 
that he had always loved me and that he will always love me no matter what entered into my mind with such force and such power that it would have been impossible for me to deny it. It's still, it is the only part of my testimony to this day. I have never even questioned that God is perfectly loving. I really cannot explain how powerfully it came into my mind. It, it was not only something that I learned of the spirit that was embedded into my mind, but it deep rooted itself into my soul. It, it latched itself with its roots and it has stuck there ever since it was more foundational than anything I'd ever learned in my entire life. It's, it's quite impossible to say just the power that it, the knowledge entered into me with. And as that happened in that moment, I had been hesitant to serve a mission prior to that. And in that moment, I realized there are so many people like me and so many people not like me who believe that God does not love them for one reason or another, or believe that they're outside of God's love. And I saw it as my duty in that moment that I needed to serve a mission that there are so many people out there who needed to know that God loves them for them and that it was now my duty to bring that love from God to his children. So that was really, that was the final decision that got me on a mission. I was still closeted at this point. And I, I talked to my parents about coming up publicly a few times and they were nervous about it, not because they felt embarrassed, but because they were worried about what other people were going to do or say or treat me, they were, they were worried about how I was going to be treated afterwards. And I didn't tell this to them, but I had planned to come out on March 12th, my 18th birthday. And I was good with that plan. It seemed like a big day to me. I was excited for it. And it was still COVID. I think this is 2020 and I'm on an institute zoom and my institute back home, the Ventura Institute, it was doing a class LGBTQ issues in the church. And I cannot tell you why, but I only attended one class and it was the very last class. <laughs> that was the first institute class I had ever attended. And it was that one. And I'm sitting in the class and I'm watching the zoom, um, learning things, hearing other people's stories. And then out of nowhere, I just start crying. I'm like, I don't feel super emotional right now. Like what's going on? And I, I sit there and I keep crying for another minute. So I get on my knees and I pray. Oh God, what's, what's going on right now? And I was just watching the zoom and I, I, I got so emotional all of a sudden, like what's happening. And it, he could have been in the room. I swear it, it felt like he pointed his finger at me and he said, you are coming out tonight. And this is January 28th or the 27th. And I sat there and I was like, me? You point the finger at me? Not, not the other guy? So now I was like actually crying out of fear. Like I was, I was pretty freaking out. And I was like, okay, okay. I cried for about 15 minutes. And then I was like, I got to figure this out. So I get on my knees again. And I just, I prayed so earnestly 
just so heartfelt. And it was only for a few seconds. I just said, am I supposed to do this tonight? And just the same feeling from right before is there are so many people who need you. It would be selfish for you to stay hidden any longer. You must come out tonight. And when that happened, it was instantly all the fear and apprehension was gone. And I was the most confident person on the planet. And it was kind of funny. The first group of people I came out to was on the Institute class. I was like, hey, I just had this cool experience. I'm going to come out now. And then I walked downstairs and my parents were watching TV. I go, hey, mom, dad, I'm going to come out publicly as gay right now. I'm going to make a video. If you two would like, you can be in the video. And I was honestly expecting a little bit of pushback because the last time we had talked about it, there was a little bit of uncertainty. And I can tell that the Lord had been working on them because they both were sure. My dad goes, I'll go get my tripod. I go, oh, okay, cool. Let's do this. So we sat on the couch together. My parents were sitting right next to me. The video was recorded. I pushed submit and ever since that day, my life has been drastically never the same. It, I, I woke up with so many messages from so many people all over the state, so many family friends, so many family members from all over the country, all reaching out and wanting to talk to me. And I was immediately overwhelmed. But from that moment, it, I was immediately thrust into a leadership position members within my stake coming out to me, meeting with members of my stake presidency to help them understand how they can better help those of the LGBTQ community. And that was really the last major thing that happened in my story before I became a full-time missionary. And to my knowledge, I was the only one. I I I never heard of any other gay full-time missionaries. I mean, I, I was the only like openly gay person in my whole stake back home. I was really the only one talking about it. So just even the thought that there was another openly gay missionary hadn't, hadn't really come to mind. Like I thought I was the first. So that, that's a lot of my experiences coming to serving a mission. You're doing a great job and I've written out a bunch of things, but I just want to keep you talking. We could circle back later. I think our listeners want to just hear you. Okay. Sounds good. Um, there was one thought that I had to circle just back really fast. I've had the question a lot that if I'm gay, why didn't I know when I was younger? Because when I was a child, I thought that I liked girls. I was like, no, I have a crush on this girl. I think it's because a lot of people don't really figure out the orientation until they hit puberty. Lots of people do. I've met lots of people who knew that they were gay or knew that they were straight at a very young age. But also those hormones that have that drive to have romantic or sexual intimacy don't start entering your body until a certain age. So that's why a lot of people or a lot of kids especially don't know until they hit puberty age because their body literally isn't wired for it yet. It's like Adam and Eve. They didn't have that experience or that knowledge until they ate of the fruit. Same thing with children. They don't have that knowledge or that understanding until they reach a certain age. So when I left on my mission, 
it was quite interesting because I get to the MTC and pretty typical MTC experience, I would imagine. I was with a bunch of other people, a bunch of other guys, had fun, learned a lot, and getting into the mission field was a lot different because I, I was the last group of COVID missionaries. COVID, COVID protocols in Canada ended about a transfer or two into my mission. So I remember, I remember coming out to my trainer a few nights in, and he was pretty, looking in hindsight, uncomfortable. <laughs> he told me that later. He, he told me, like before we were companions, that he was very homophobic, like very close-minded. And he told me that like being companions with me completely changed his perspective and point of view on everything he thought he had ever known about people like me. And it wasn't necessarily because I talked about it all the time. And it wasn't necessarily because of profound things. I would say it's, it's because I was a normal person. It's because I, I just acted like myself. I, I, I taught people, I found people, I had diligence as a missionary. And I think once he really saw that he he's like, dang, they are just like everyone else. And then not only did he become comfortable with me being gay, he became comfortable with the idea of people being gay. He became comfortable with making jokes. He became comfortable with defending me. And I had that happen with a few companions where they were very unsure at the beginning. And then just them being around me and just seeing I'm like everybody else, seeing that I have a testimony, I think that was the biggest change for most of my companions was seeing that I was not just a gay robot that was a gay stereotype, that I was a real person and functioned just like everyone else. And I, I was in a really unique position because I, I was the only openly gay missionary in my mission. And so I remember reaching out to my mission president. I go, hey, I feel like there's so much good I can do in this position whether it's I make a video for our social media page or something else, I feel like there's so many people that could hear someone like me and just and receive a lot of hope. And so I set up an interview with him and that interview almost sent me home. I remember I'm sitting in there and I forget a lot of what he said. I think I, I was not paying attention for most of the interview. We sit down after a few introductory remarks. It was other Troxel. Do you know why you're on a mission? You know, my third week in the mission, I give kind of a typical new missionary answer. Well, to bring people into Christ through faith, repentance, baptism, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, and enduring to the end. And he goes, No, why are you on a mission? It's like, um, to help people feel the love of God. He's like, why did you come on a mission, Other Troxel? I was like, I, I, think I'm, I don't think I'm giving you the answer that you want, but I'm giving you the answer that I feel is true. He goes, Elder Troxel, you did not come on a mission to be a therapist for gay people. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, President, I think there's a misunderstanding. I, I'm de that's definitely not what I'm trying to do. And I'm so sorry if I came across as that way. 
but that is not at all what I am trying to do. I'm, I simply feel that I'm in a very unique position to help people like me or to help people who want to know more about me or to help people who love people like me. My, my objective is to not go out of my way to be a therapist for these kind of people at all. That's, that's not my duty right now. And after a few more remarks that were just really cutting from him, he, he made some not super friendly comments about the LGBTQ community that really hurt. And then he, he goes, other Troxel, what are you doing after your mission? And I said, president, I'm sorry. I don't, I think you're looking for a specific answer. Can you like be more specific in what you're asking? He goes, other Troxel, are you going to marry a woman? I go, I haven't made that decision yet, president. I am still figuring that out. And I, I don't feel comfortable figuring that out right now. And he goes, you have to marry a woman. And I go, president, I don't feel comfortable making that decision here with you right now. I, I'm, and he goes, you have to marry a woman. And in first and second Nephi, there are a lot of scriptures about following the commandments and being, or being swept off the land. And he started pulling up scripture after scripture after scripture about people who were not faithful and how they got swept off the land for not obeying the Lord's commandments. He goes, Elder Troxel, it is a commandment that you marry a woman. Do you want to be swept off the land like these people? I go, President, I, I don't think the Lord is going to sweep me off the land if I don't marry a woman. I, I think he's going to tell me what I need to do. I, I'm not making this decision right now, President. I'm not going to make this decision with you. And then he starts going into all these different things and starts saying that I'm not really gay, that it's something that I'm either making up or something that was put upon me by the media. And that if I use the atonement and I repent hard enough that I can be forgiven of my gayness and move past it. And I go, president, I have earnestly tried for years to not be gay. And it didn't happen. And that probably went on for about 30 minutes. There was a lot of other really just bone cutting remarks that he made during that interview. And I remember I walked out of that interview and just thinking that I was going to go home. I was like, if, if the, if the one person, the one mortal person in this mission that I was supposed to be able to rely on with my full heart just did that to me. I can't do this. No one can expect me to do this anymore. I'm not going to do this. And so I got on my knees and I, I told that to God. I said, pretty much what I just said, I said, I can't do this. This isn't fair. None of the other missionaries are going through this right now. This isn't okay. I thought this was, I thought I was supposed to be here right now. What's the deal? I, I, I can't do this. I'm going home. I'm going home. Just, and then such a powerful feeling came of there are so many more people like you that you have not met yet that you need to meet. So you cannot go home. I was like, well, okay. I, it took me a long time. It probably took me 18, even the full two years 
of my mission, but I, I honestly feel like I'm getting to the point where I'm, I'm still angry about what happened. I still think it's very unfair and it, it negatively affected me severely for a significant amount of my mission. But I've gotten to the point where I've separated the man from what he did. And I have gotten to that point where I have given him forgiveness. I, I don't know if he thinks he is in the realm of needing forgiveness. But whether if he is or isn't, I just, I made the decision to just forgive him. Because nothing good was going to come for me not forgiving him. That was, that was like right at the beginning of my mission. And that was a pretty awful, horrible experience. And the longer I was on my mission, so every missionary in the mission knew I was gay because it was in my Facebook bio and missionaries are wonderful, spiritually mature young adults, but they are still post high school graduates. <laughs> Most of them right out of high school. And a terrible thing about high school is a lot of gossip happens. And so I knew pretty soon that once I told one missionary I was gay and that I was open, that every missionary is going to know. And every missionary did know. Some didn't. I remember sitting with a companion and very poor first interaction. He had had not a great companion right before me. And he wasn't making the greatest first impression on me. He was coming across pretty abrasive and pretty rude. And he, he made a comment along the lines of, is there anything I should know about you so you don't ruin this area? I was like, dang. <laughs> so I look at him and go, well, I don't know if you know, but I am gay. I'm openly gay. And I saw his jaw hit the floor. <laughs> he was just out of words to say. And he was just beside himself. He had no idea what to do. He goes, okay, um, cool, I guess. <laughs> I was like, yep, you can ask questions if you want. <laughs> I'm an open book. Go ahead and talk to me about it whenever you want to or don't. It's whatever. Just thought you should know. <laughs> and I really tried to help my companions because it is a really taboo subject, especially if you come from Utah. It, it's a very culturally sensitive subject. So I, this elder had a pretty good sense of humor. So I would crack pretty dark jokes about it with myself. And where I said one one day and he goes, I think this is going to be a good companionship. I agree, Elder. And later in the companionship, he made a comment that really took me off guard because we, we had gotten in pretty extensive conversations about me being gay. And he said something along the lines of, if I gave you a priest's blessing and healed you from being gay, that like destroyed me. Is that here was someone who I trusted so much. And then he just made a comment like that. And I was pretty mad. And we get in the car and he can tell that I'm pretty mad. And he goes, are you mad at me? And I go, yes, I am mad at you, Elder. He goes, what did I do? I go, Elder, I don't need healing. You don't need to heal me. And he goes, what? I'm like, Elder, you said you can heal me in a priesthood blessing. I don't need to be healed from this. And bless this Elder. He does not have a way with words. <laughs> so 
after this point, I realized if he said something, I just needed to give him time to clarify what he meant. He goes, oh my gosh, Elder, no, I'm so sorry. That's not what I meant at all. And I kind of give him a side look and we go, okay, you can keep explaining yourself. He goes, I got confused and I thought we were talking about something else and I was trying to impersonate someone and I realized right after I said it that it probably sounded really offensive and I felt terrible about it. Elder, I don't think you need to be healed either. And I keep just listening. He goes, Elder, I'm going to be honest. When we were first companions, I had the same perspective of that mission president who said some bad things to you. I, I didn't understand it. I had the same outlook that it was a sickness that you can be healed from. But Elder, you've changed me. Elder, just the great missionary that you are and the things that you've done, you've helped me understand that it's not a sickness. And I really saw a full 180 from this elder. Remember, we're talking, I think we're eating dinner. And I figured the conversation got brought up. But he's like, you know, if I had a child and they were gay and they were getting bullied at school, we would just move. We would just move cities. I would find a city that would be better for him. It's like, what? Because if, if my child was gay and they were being harassed by people in our city, I would just leave. I would just, I would, I would find a better city for my child. Like, Elder, that's, that's amazing. He goes, yeah. I go, Elder, I would, I would like to point out that you wouldn't have said that two transfers ago. He goes, you're right, I wouldn't have. But it, it just makes sense now. They're children of God. And it's, it's, it's something they can't control. And who am I to say anything different? Like, dang, Elder. <laughs> is very profound. I am really proud of you right now. I think that helps me a lot when you say stuff like that. So I had a lot of experiences like that with companions where they started out on one side and then a lot of them would usually start out on the other side or end out on the other side just because they saw who I was and they're like, wow, you're like the first gay person I've actually met and spent time with. Like, I've been thinking about it wrong this entire time. So let me just pull notes on my phone. So there was a lot of experiences like that. Um, there was a lot of experiences that I was able to have as a gay missionary that I don't think I would have been able to have as a straight missionary especially experiences when it came to helping like the female sisters in the church, um, whether they were missionaries or whether members or one of the, one of the most profound experiences I had on my mission. And this took place over around four months, a sister walks in and into this ward. It, it was a place called Grand Prairie. Grand Prairie is in the absolute in the middle of nowhere. It's the same parallel of Alaska. And she walks and she had dyed her hair purple. I go, sister, I love the hair. Like, I love the purple. What made you dye it? She goes, oh, I just felt like I needed a change. I go, well, I think it looks fabulous. I think you chose a great color. She goes, thank you. Thank you. And then we talked for a bit. And she goes, I, I just, I, I needed a change from life. I go, yeah. And she goes, yeah, my my husband has decided that he will not be faithful to me. And 
where in that moment, just my heart, just, I, this is the first time I've interacted with this woman and just my heart shattered. And I, I'm so sorry to hear that. I, can I give you a hug? And she is, she's putting her bag down and she goes, are you allowed to do that? And I just give her the biggest hug. You know, look, you have the missionary's number. If there's anything we can ever do for you, please reach out to us. And some time passes, and I think it's the next Sunday. And I'm there's me and my companion are talking to a few members in the hallway after church. And she walks by and I start talking to her. And we're talking, and she goes, I wanted to find your Facebook because just from our short interaction, I could tell you're such an amazing young man. And I just knew that you were gonna do great things with your life. And I needed to know where you're going to go with your life. So I had to find some way to keep in touch and see what you do. And I, f- I was like, this guy cannot be any cooler. And then I found your Facebook. And I was like, oh my gosh, he just got that much cooler. And she was referring to me saying that I was gay in my Facebook bio. And that was really the start of probably the one of the people I, I was closest to in my entire mission we we talked for probably an hour after that about her experiences and my experiences and her testimonies and the the struggles that we've had and she made the comment she's like you know i wanted to talk to you more just because i i loved your energy so much but i didn't want people to assume things because everyone knows about my situation right now and you're you're an attractive young man i didn't want people to make assumptions but now that i know that you're gay it changes. I go, it does. This is awesome. And it just, we got super, super close after that. I remember I was calling my mom one time on preparation day and she, this lady walks by. I go, Oh mom, I have someone for you to meet. And I, I show her to my mom and she grabs my phone out of my hand. She goes, Oh my gosh, are you Tracy? I've heard so much about you. You have the most wonderful son. This goes on and on and on. And my mom was just beside herself. She was so happy. And fast forward a little bit. I was on an exchange with an elder. So we were planning the day and we're driving around. I think I was like, hey, elder, we should go stop by this family. And kind of explain the situation. I was like, I just, I feel like we should go stop by them right now. And he goes, okay. And we stopped by them and knock on the door. She opens the door the same lady and she goes oh come in and we come in and she had a toddler and two teenage sons and we start talking and then both her sons get home from high school and we say can we share spiritual thought and she goes of course so we start sharing the message of the restoration and we talked a lot about the atonement and how God knew what we were going through. We told her that we were going to focus that message around love. And we, we told her that God understands everything that we're going through, that there's never a moment that he hasn't understood. And after the lesson, we, we pray and I go, you don't have to, but I feel very prompted to ask, would any of you like priesthood blessings right now? And the mother, the lady was very close with, she goes, I would. And then her oldest son, who I became very close with, he was 17. He goes, I would as well. And she had another son who I was close with. He was 15. He goes, I, I think I'm good, but thank you. And I go, no worries, no pressure. So I give her a blessing and then I give 
the oldest son a blessing. And then after I finished his blessing, the younger son, the 15 year old, he goes, Hey, could you actually, could you give me a blessing? Oh, of course. I would love to give you a blessing. And I give him a blessing. And as I'm walking out, she grabs my arm and she goes, I don't think you understand what happened here today. I'll tell you later, but I don't think you understand what just happened. They go, you're right. <laughs> I don't really understand what just happened. Um, but I'm excited to talk with you. And shortly after that, my birthday came. She wrote me a really nice letter and she explained what had happened. So throughout the day, she, she put her toddler to sleep or for nap time. And she was just grieving over everything that had been going on. And she was just trying to sleep and she was praying and praying, praying for, for relief. And she just couldn't sleep. And she was just laying on the couch in agony because she just felt so much pain. And she was just praying for someone or something to deliver her. And she said about an hour later, we showed up at her doorstep and the whole time she, she felt so strongly that just no one understood what she was feeling, that she was completely alone. And she said, when we had just talked so fervently on the savior understood everything that we go through and there's never been a moment where we've been alone. She said that the spirit just hit her so powerfully. And she said, when we offered them blessings that her and her older son had received multiple blessings since everything had happened. And it had been about three months since it happened with her family but her younger son the 15 year old had not accepted blessings from anyone that he had been offered blessings dozens of times from multiple different church leaders and family friends but he had just denied every single blessing and she said because you made the effort to become close to our family and to become friends with my sons and to show them love he trusted you enough to give him a priesthood blessing and I remember the the night before I, I left the area, we visited them. And as I was walking out the door, she grabbed my hand again. She goes, if you ever think that you don't matter to anyone, if you, if you ever think that you're not worth anything, you mean something to this family. You mean something to us. And that has been one of the most profound experiences on my mission. It's, it's probably been the most emotional and spiritual experience I've ever had on my mission. And her older son, the 17 year old was really struggling if he should serve a mission or not. His father was really his rock if he should serve. And then everything happened with his father. And we're talking to him and he's asking us all these pros and cons of serving missions and everything. And then a little bit later, I, I forgot who told me, but someone reached out. They're like, guess who got the mission call? And they told me, I was like, no way. That's awesome. I'm so glad you decided to serve. They're like, yeah. And You'll never believe it. I'm like what? They say in his acceptance letter on his mission call, they put that a specific missionary who served in their ward had such a profound impact on them and their family that they were the reason why they decided to serve a mission. So cool. And they go, and they, they called you out by name that wow. you were that missionary. And just in that moment, if all of my admission to had amounted to just that, that would have been a fully successful mission for me. I, I couldn't have dreamt of anything else, anything else so sweet that was helping that family in their biggest time of need was one of the greatest, greatest blessings the Lord has ever given me. Cause those, that's really a relationship that will last past this life. 
I had a few more thoughts, but how much? Keep going. Okay. <laughs> and as time went on, I, I kept having similar experiences where I would have an opinion. They wouldn't really get it. We'd have a lot of deep conversations. A lot of the time, sometimes really painful conversations for me, just because there was a lot that they didn't understand. And in, the, in that ignorance, it often caused pain. I, I would, that was almost every single companionship. And as I move forward, something interesting started to happen. This happened near the beginning. This happened about six months into my mission up until right now, actually. But missionaries who were closeted and queer started reaching out to me from all around the world, Japan, Africa, South America, the United States of America, Canada, just dozens of missionaries reaching out to me, whether they were lesbian, asexual, aromantic, gay, bisexual, transgender. All of these people started reaching out to me from all around the world. And then all of a sudden, my Facebook profile went worldwide. In one of my areas, I was talking, we were stopping by someone right before I left. And one of my favorite people in my mission, she, they, her and her husband just loved me and my companion. And she's saying, she's like, yeah, and I was, I was talking to someone from Stony Plain. And that was about 40 minutes north because I was on the south side of the city and it was the next city over. And I was talking to her and she goes, oh my gosh, have you heard of that gay missionary here? She goes, yeah, he's in my ward. That's my missionary. <laughs> the lady goes, oh, I wish he was my missionary. You're so lucky. And the lady goes, I know. And so in that moment, she was like, I don't think you understand what, what's happened. I don't think you understand just you existing, what it's done. I go, I don't think I understand either. I'm told that like on a daily basis. And then I figure out something new like that every single day. <laughs> it's quite insane. I remember that same member who had that experience with her friend, she wrote me a letter when I left the area. One of my favorite areas. It was Ellerslie. It was um, Southeast Edmonton. I spent six months there. She wrote me a letter and she, she had several family members at the table who had had terrible experiences with religion. She had a grandfather who was abused by i think it was catholic nuns as a child she had two sisters that were extremely anti any religion she had a bunch of other family members that were very staunch she had a mother-in-law that was investigating the church but was very hesitant to join and she said that just me being there and she told all of them that i was gay and she said that just me being there completely changed the whole direction of everything she said that my grandpa has never sat in on a spiritual thought when the missionaries have ever shared and he's hated all the missionaries just because he doesn't like religious people but he said he liked the two of you my two sisters that are anti-religion have not said a word about religion since they heard about you my mother-in-law who was thinking about joining the church became more comfortable joining the church knowing that people like you could serve a mission and i had never told any of them except her and her husband that I was gay. And she said, 
don't ever un- or underestimate the effect that you're going to have on people because it goes way farther than you know. And in that same word, I, I come out to all of my leadership because there's so many LGBTQ individuals in every unit that need support. And my bishop directed me to a certain family who had a daughter who was gay and not active. And we had dinner a few times with that family. And I talked to the parents about it, had some emotional conversations. And we were sitting, we're having dinner, and their daughter joined dinner. And she went upstairs for the spiritual thought, and I was like, that's okay. I don't mind. And after dinner is over, you go, she hasn't sat in since the missionaries were here in months. Like, this is the first time she sat in on a dinner with us and the missionaries in a long time. And the next time we had dinner and we shared her spiritual thought, they go, this is the first time and even longer she stayed for both. She stayed for dinner and she stayed for the spiritual thought. And these, these are just experiences that I have. They're simply just existing. I didn't talk about being gay with their daughter. I didn't mention it. Their parents mentioned it and that was it. Their parents gave her a few resources of mine that I had created, and that was it. I was not extensive at talking about it at the dinner table, but simply just existing had so many ripple effects, not only just in my ward or in the mission that I served in, so many ripple effects just throughout the globe that I came to realize. And I was talking with a good friend last night. We, we went to a dance and we were sitting afterwards and we're, we're talking about a few different things. And one of the things that came up was sacrifice. How when we sacrifice things, the Lord blesses us. And I, I, it came to think, like, what, what did I sacrifice as a missionary? What did I give I gave absolutely everything. I sacrificed my, a lot of the time, emotional and mental stability. I sacrificed being comfortable. I sacrificed feeling safe a lot. I sacrificed parts of myself a lot of the time. I sacrificed going through so much pain that people didn't understand. I sacrificed so much judgment that people would give me. Often other missionaries who didn't know anything about me there, there was so incredibly much, so much painful sacrifice that I gave, so much agony that I went through. And it, it makes me think if, if, if I was posed with the option to do it again, to get to the position where I am now, would, would I be willing to sacrifice that much again? Would I be willing to have my soul feel like it was ripped apart by so many different people on so many different occasions, would I be willing to cry and go through some of the worst depression I've been through in my life? I feel like I'm betraying two parts of my integral self. Without a doubt, I would do it again. And not just because it was a neat experience that I met people, but because of the person who I became and because of the relationship I developed with my Savior Jesus Christ and I developed with myself. I, I came to know he was loving before my mission, but I came to really understand him in an intimate and a personal way on my mission. I really came to understand who he is, what he does, how he loves me, how he loves p- 
people around me, how he loves people that hurts me and how he can help me love those people who hurt me too. I came to realize with such power who the Savior is and what he does for me and that my mission was not only an experience to to serve, but it, it, it was the start of my spiritual foundation. I mean, without my mission, I, I would have a very unclear path of where I was going spiritually. Like I've known what I wanted to do job-wise since I was like 13 or 14, but my mission shaped the entire math that I'm watching to know what to do with my spiritual life from here on out. And sometimes I say things to people and... I get a lot of questioning looks or responses back because there's, there's a lot of questions like, oh, are you going to stay single? Are you going to marry a woman? Are you going to marry a man? Like how, how do you deal with it? How do you do it? And I think if, if there's something that I tell people that doubt me now, people have their free agency to not believe my personal revelation. It's their right, not only a religious right, but their constitutional right to not agree with me on every single thing I say. And that, that doesn't frustrate me. Okay. Like if you're willing to hear my point of view, awesome. But if you're not, we just won't talk about it. But I served a two-year mission. I held multiple leadership assignments. I held multiple trainer assignments. I was put with some, quote, difficult companions or companions that needed their testimony strengthened or companions that were not very obedient because I had a reputation of being hardworking and obedient. I helped over a dozen people on my mission come into the waters of baptism. I think I can personally say that I've owned the right to say that I can receive my own personal revelation. I've been through all of that and was trusted with all of that up to the very last day of my mission. I can, I can earnestly say that I know how to receive personal revelation for myself and I know how to discern whether it's coming from on high or down below. And I've, I've been asked a lot, like, why do I stay? Why do I stay in the church? Why did I stay on a mission? Why, 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 why? A lot of the time I stayed on my mission, it was because I knew that the Lord needed me. Part of it is because I knew it was my duty and that I needed to stay. But a lot of it is because whenever I prayed, I knew that there were people I needed to stay for, that there were people who I hadn't met yet that I needed to. Very distinctly in my last area, I remember I had a lesson with someone that I had a lesson with a family and I got out of those lessons and I knew that everyone that I was meant to teach on my mission had been taught that I had found them, I had taught them, and I had helped them to the best of my abilities. And that doesn't mean that I started to slack off. There are still people who I could find and help and teach, but the Lord just let me know that the people he had prepared for me specifically to find that I had found them and that I had served with honor and that my last objective now was to make sure I springboard my companion to the rest of his mission because he was brand new. And granted, I got off my mission three weeks ago. So for anyone who's wondering, this is it's not hard to recall because this is all really recently. And that's a big reason why I say it is because I knew there were people. And how I do it, how I manage. Honestly, sometimes I don't manage super well. 
Sometimes I stay in bed for a long period of time because I have a hard time getting up, not on my mission, after the mission. Sometimes I would have to take hour-long naps during lunch and dinner. Sometimes I would have to just lock myself in the bathroom and cry. Sometimes I wouldn't manage super well. But when I'd struggle with my testimony of certain things, I would just go back to the basics. I know God loves me. I know God answers our prayers. I can read and I can feel the spirit. And that's where I'm going to. I think a lot of people have a tendency of overcomplicating things. And I, I have that tendency too. And I, I did that for a long time with my testimony. And I was actually taught this in seminary a lot that if you ever have issues or are nervous or confused, go back to the basics. Go back to the primary answers. There's a reason why we start our primary children on follow the prophet, read the scriptures, pray every day, go to church. There's, it's because those are the foundation for everything. If, 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 you don't have, if you don't have a testimony as the, in those found out foundational basic beliefs, those other testimonies that you might have about the word of wisdom or the law of chastity or other things kind of don't have anything to stand on if you don't believe in a living prophet or if you don't believe in the restoration. If you can't find yourself believing those things, believe in God. Believe in God. Believe that he is loving. Pray. If you haven't prayed in a while, pray. Try. It's, it's scary. It's uncomfortable. It feels weird. It might feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Trust me, I've been there lots of times. But sometimes it's just God isn't giving us the answer that we want. Or the answer just isn't ready yet. And never, ever are we promised that life is going to be perfectly easy. We're never once promised that. But we are promised that we can experience joy in this life and that the Lord will prepare a way and that all places have a people, all people have a place in his kingdom. And I, just, I wanted to say three quick scriptures and then let you take over. So uh, three of my favorite scriptures in the book of Mormon. One of them is first Nephi three, seven. It's a classic. It's a scripture mastery. Most people know it. I know it, but I'm going to make sure and pull it up just so I don't butcher it. First Nephi 3, 7 says, And it came to pass that I, Nephi, said unto my father, I will go into the things which the Lord hath commanded. For I know that the Lord giveth no commandments unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them that they may accomplish the things which he commanded them. And in, in the book of Second Nephi, specifically Second Nephi, Second Nephi, chapter twenty-six, verse thirty-three. It says, "For none of these iniquities come of the Lord; for He doeth that which is good among the children of men." And he doeth nothing save it be plain unto the children of men. And he inviteth them all to come unto him and partake of his goodness. And he denieth none that come unto him, black and white, bond and free, male and female. And he remembereth the heathen, and all are alike unto God, both Jew and Gentile. And then earlier in Second Nephi, Second Nephi chapter 2 verse 25, it says, Adam fell that men might be, and men are that they might have joy. I feel like that's that was like the trifecta of scriptures for me. Because in, in one, it says, we're all alike unto God. There's place for us here. And I, I like to add whatever group you might feel like you're in. 
specifically for me, black and white, gay and straight, Jew and Gentile, all are alike in the God. First Nephi 3, 7, we're promised that when we follow God, he's going to prepare a way for us. And that following doesn't always look super conventional. But as long as we're following that revelation that we receive, he's going to prepare our path. And then 2 Nephi 2, 25, we're meant to experience joy. If God wanted to send us here and have a few experiences and then get back to him, he would have sent us to a flat desert wasteland, get a few mortal experiences and get back up to him. But he prepared a magnificent world full of magnificent things and people and places and animals and all of these different things that we can use to experience joy. And we're never promised that we're always going to feel joy, but we are promised that we can feel joy in the midst of the sorrow. So that's been a big thing that's kept me going is regardless of what's happening, there's always joy to be found. There's always a path to be made and there's always a seat to be taken. Sometimes you have to make that seat for yourself, but there always is one. Jacob Troxel, I'm just so moved and our listeners are so moved. And before I go into my comments, I want you to talk about your second mission president. Before we visited, you said he was a very helpful, supportive mission president. Mm. Just talk about why. What did he do to be supportive? So when he first got in the mission, I was six months out, probably six and a half, seven months. And I'm sitting with his wife. I'm so nervous because my last mission president interview was terrible. And I'm just, I'm sweating bullets. And I, I tell my mission leader that, you know, I'm just really nervous for this interview. And I explain to her why. And she goes, I think it'll be fine. I go, okay, I'm going to trust you. And I get into that interview and we talk for a few minutes. And it was his first round of interviews with every single missionary. And I tell him that I'm gay and I'm openly gay. And he goes, well, thank you for telling me. Is, is there anything I can do for you? Or like, is, is there anyone not treating you right now? Like it is, is, are you safe? Are you comfortable? I go, yeah, I am. And I, I appreciate that. And I think a big thing for him was he just was willing to listen. Um, to my knowledge, he had, he, he was close to people or people who were in the LGBTQ community. So he, he didn't have a perfect understanding, but he understood enough. And I think that's so important is that people don't need to have a perfect understanding. You don't even need to understand enough. You just need to listen. You, you just need to listen. You just need to love. And you just need to tell them that they're loved. And I think that's a lot of what he did. He was great at helping missionaries feel his love. He was great at helping missionaries feel comfortable. He, I don't think I met a single missionary in that mission who didn't like him. Right. I did meet quite a few missionaries who didn't like the previous mission president, but he, he was a big old cowboy kind of guy. He always had a big old bucket hat on unless we were in a chapel or praying. And he just, he just had a way of just accepting and just not letting things get in the way. And he had such, such a powerful testimony and it, his wife did too. His, his wife was just such a sweethearted lady. She, she would reach out to me quite often. And 
I had typed up a document to give to people I was on my mission to help them see my story. I called it the gauges. It stands for the gay pages. And it was a document from me growing up in the church until I left on my mission. And I'd given it to her and she just responded with so many wonderful comments about that document. And those, those are just two people that have been very special to me. It's because they, they handled me with such love. And because they definitely, they didn't understand how, what it was like to feel, but they definitely understood how I was feeling. And they definitely understood how I felt on the sidelines a lot. And they empathized, they sympathized, they gave me advice, and they were just there for me. Um, that was a really good extra segment. Um, this is one of the finest podcasts we've done, listeners, and I could just turn off the mic right now and we could just bask in the spirit of Elder Troxel, but I, I just wrote a bunch of comments down. Maybe you wrote some of the same things down or forever remember what he's taught us. And the first thing is he's 20 and his maturity in the gospel is just remarkable. These are some of the things I wrote down is that first bishop you came out to, you said I wouldn't be in the church if it wasn't for his response. And he took some time. And if I remember his response is, God loves you and I love you. And it wasn't complicated. Um, but it just reminds me that we as parents, we as local leaders, we need to be prepared on how we would respond. Um, if you're about ready to go on a mission and you're straight, you might be prepared. And you already are. If you're listening to this podcast, how are you going to respond to having a gay companion or teaching a gay investigator? Um, and if I can just add something really Please. quick on that, I think just like Richard said, it's simplicity is where it's at. Simplicity is the, is the best. And if they start asking questions that you don't know, or if there are certain things that you don't know how to handle, just tell them like, I'm sure you have a lot of questions. I have a lot of questions too but I'm here to figure them out with you. Like, I don't have all the answers. I'm not going to pretend that I do, but I love you and I care about you. And this doesn't change the way that I see you. And you might have a lot of questions. I'm going to have a lot of questions too, but let's figure them out together. I, I've had a lot of people try to just like tell me answers and I'm like, you don't have the answer. <laughs> You're just trying to give me advice. But when people have responded with that, that's when I felt the most validated. I love that. And um, one of the consistent themes I picked up over 700 episodes and maybe 1,000 visits with queer members is this consistent personal revelation that is just rock solid and doctrinally I think is accurate is God loves me. And you talked about, I didn't have a testimony that God loved me. In fact, I had a testimony that he didn't love me. And um, then you had this deeply powerful spiritual experience that we're honored you'd share with us that, you know, God is perfectly loving and he perfectly loves me. And um, I just believe that so strongly. And I recognize where queer people pick up things because most of the content is not positive in church and society. So that's where they're sort of getting their messages from, from people often in authority. And so it's logical to think that God feels the same way. 
And it's paradigm shifting when you learn just the opposite. Mm-hmm. And how, but you had to go through the work to pray and ask. Um, and then you became sort of like the sons of Mosiah. Is once you learned this, you felt a burning desire to help other people know the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I thought of the sons of Mosiah, and you don't want to be compared to the sons of Mosiah. <laughs> um, but you acted on the same desire to help other people for the love of God that you knew firsthand. And um, for queer Latter-day Saints, that includes that they're not a mistake and God loves all of them and they're made with intention and that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I think I know the answer to this question, but if there were a red button here and you could push it, Jacob, to be straight, would you push it? <laughs> I would not, no. Yeah. And at first when I asked that question, I was kind of surprised but now I get it because this is who you are and it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And the fruit of that is represented in your own life and in the, in your mission. Um, the next thing I wrote down is um, you're recognizing that coming out, my life would never be the same. And, but every step of the way was very intentional and very prayerful. Mm-hmm. And listeners, I just think, you know, the, the principle is here for you is, you know, be prayerful and be intentional, but it looks different for everybody. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you've counseled, you know, the missionaries you were messaging and emailing across the, the church that were closeted was just sort of, you know, you've got to come out on your own terms or not come out. Mm-hmm. Any more thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I think I've been asked that a lot. Like, why, why did you want to come out? Why do you think you have to share that? And the more that I thought about it, it's not everyone does have to have a public coming out. I know some people that are very happy with, I come out now, not publicly. I told my family, if anyone asks, I'll tell them. I know other people that are comfortable posting it online. I think not everyone is required to post it online, but I do think it is very important that some people do so that voices are continued to be made. I think that's the reason why I felt so strongly that I need to make an upload because God has always blessed me with boldness. Sometimes it's my downfall, but he's always blessed me with being very outspoken and very bold. And feel what works with you and God. Sometimes it's going to be something that you're super happy with and you're super comfortable with. Other times it's going to be super uncomfortable and super painful. But when you get on the other side, you're going to realize how grateful for you, how grateful for your, you are to the Lord that you did it. It's, it's really an individual basis. I've, I've heard some people are almost worried about it to pray, almost a little apprehensive. I know what that feels like, but I also know how much better it is to just do it. There's so much fear and apprehension, and that fear and apprehension will stay there until, until you just do the act. Once you do it, it's going to be different for everyone, and sometimes it takes time and multiple efforts but once you do it, just it goes away. The fear, it just, I don't know if it is gone forever or if it goes completely away, but courage comes in and you are, you are just so blessed for it. I think th- those are some of my thoughts on that. Um, I loved, you taught so well the principle of proximity um, that's, part of my journey when I preached the responsibility for a couple of gay men, that was the first time I was proximate to gay people. And I 
did 180s. <laughs> I guess just one, or if I do two 180s, I'm back to <laughs> I'm back to where I was. So, but you know, your trainer and the proximity and your courage to be open that allowed um, and other missionaries and. I'm going to talk more about that, but that's part of your mission. Um, I thought you did a good job of being open about difficult church leader experiences with your first mission president. This is a platform where we try to create a safe place. People can share difficult experience with church leaders in the spirit of we know when we know better, we do better. Um, these are the stories that I wish I had heard before, you know, earlier church assignments and um, because I just know when I know better, I do better. And most church leaders want to do the right thing. But this is just an area where um, there hasn't been a lot of training for mission presence, local leaders. Um, and so you get different choppy experiences. And I thought you extended a lot of grace to this church leader. Um, but I think it's also my earlier self, Elder Troxel would have said, well, I would have defended your church leader. Mm-hmm. My and this is a ministering principle. My older self says, I want to sit with you and validate the pain of your experience. And that does more to strengthen your relationship to the church and maybe strengthen the church versus dismiss the pain of your experience. Oh, yeah. Or somehow thinking you're overthinking it or you're being too sensitive. Or, But I also thought you were really bold. Um, that's one of your Christ-like attributes. <laughs> I think that's still in chapter six of Preach My Gospel, unless it's moved around. Yeah. I think being bold is a Christ-like attribute, and you're very brave in a situation where you're going to have that um, honest discussion with your mission president, and um, I thought you did a good job handling that, and there's no, there's nothing in the white book. Is that what we still call it? The hand, the missionary, <laughs> you whatever, yeah. that says how to have that kind of conversation, but I thought you did a really good job, and then you sort of a, agreed to disagree. Um, but I also recognize the emotional capital it takes you to continue to have to have these conversations um, to create these 180 experiences, which are, you know, which are really needed. But it makes me wish there were more allies and just more, more church training so that you didn't have to spend all this emotional capital to always educate you know, straight members of the church mm-hmm. and what it's like to be gay. And I recognize there's a lot of allies listening in this pot and your stories are scale so more people can do it. But I just, that's part of my, I have a dream for the church is that you don't have to, and people that come bef- after you don't have to spend so much emotional capital having to just be so guarded everywhere you go that you know you're going to have to have these difficult experiences. and that can be hard on your emotional health while you're already in a situation that demands a lot for you to serve a mission. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought you did a good job. And um, when we know better, we do better. That's a principle of this podcast. No one's trying to throw a church leader on the bus, under the bus, you're not. Um, but I thought um, you did a good job of just talking about a difficult experience and how to navigate that. Any more thoughts on that? Um... None directly. Okay. I definitely do agree with that. It makes me think of an experience I had with a companion. He was pretty closed off. He he didn't even want to talk about it. I remember I was I was in my room and he was journaling in the other room. I think 
I just had had a really hard time being gay that week and just things people had said and just with my mental health. And I walked out of the room crying and I said, Hey, Elder. He looks at me and goes, Oh, what's wrong? I go, Could you give me a blessing? Of course I can. What's going on? I go, It's just really hard to be gay sometimes. And then I just, I saw, and I just, I felt almost what he was feeling. Just so, just this look of realization came upon his face. Just that he, there was a lot of things. I think he understood in that moment that he hadn't understood before. And he gave me a blessing and he was kind of uncomfortable with physical contact with me up until that point. So I stood up to give him a handshake and he just gave me the biggest hug. And then I went to let go and he just kept hugging me. He goes, I love you. I love you no matter what, brother. I love you. I think it, he knew better. So he did better. And then he ended up writing me a really nice letter because he ended up going home that transfer. I was only eight months into my mission. He wrote me a really nice letter just about how there's a whole other side of God's children that he can minister to now because we are companions. Wow. And I think that was one of the perfect examples of know better, do better. Because for him, it was a moment. It was a moment of being taught by the spirit and seeing his companion crying because he was in pain. And I've, I've respected him so much for that. Because it's it's not easy to change, but he did a full 180 in that moment and he took that spiritual impression and he he just went with it and he he took off. Um I wrote down here a little sarcastic. You were accused of being a therapist for gay people, and I thought what you became is the therapist for straight people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that happened a lot. <laughs> In the sense, you just helped so many people understand that needed not necessarily therapy, but just need a whole different paradigm yeah. to process, you know, God's love for LGBTQ people. And, the, and um, but it's very brave of you. Um, let's see. I'm just looking at my notes here. Um, I love this member that's, that you were talking about, I think, with the purple hair. It's just that that just got that he just got that much cooler. Um, and I love that. I wrote down also some things about, I wrote down four things that kind of came to my mind about those of you that are that are queer, that are considering serving missions. And I think you brought these four to life and there may be others that you would add to this list, Jacob, but one is it may be, I think it's realistic. It's going to be a choppy experience. Mm -hmm. I think if I told you, or you told you that you're going to have just all these perfect experiences. If you're out, you're, you're, it's not going to be like that. And mm -hmm. you might as well be prepared. Just like you've honestly shared, you might have a difficult experience with a mission president and other church leader companions and to go in with your eyes full open, that that's going to be part of the journey. Mm -hmm. And the second thing I wrote down is these, this, the one eighties you're going to have in people's lives that will forever change. Once Somebody does a 180, they don't go back. This companion that gave you the blessing, he's not going back. It's it, you, once it once it's sort of out of the box, and you understand God's love for LGBTQ people and their ability to create Zion. You don't go back and recognize the unique road they walk. So all these 
if you're going to go serve a mission, you're going to have 180 experiences that will forever change the trajectory of members in the church and their ability, because this scales. All of these companions are, are going to have families and be church leaders and have professions. And this defining moment in their mission will forever change their perspective of the space. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, that, you know, someday you're going to get to the other side when you're an old person. And I think God has you, is going to take you up to a tall mountain and help you see the totality of the good you did on your mission and the rest of your life. But in this one category of just members and companions that you changed 180, um, that's the second thing, listeners. The third thing is um, your ability um, to bless members and investigators because you're open about your sexual orientation and their ability to know that he gets, if if this church can support a gay missionary on a mission, maybe there's a place for me. I may be straight, but I just may not fit in. And all these experiences you've had, and I realize in a podcast or in a homecoming talk, you can't get to them all. But there's probably, just like it, you did this a really good job, but there's a lot of people that are investigating the church or members of the church that goes, wow, this is a church that really loves everybody and is trying to find a place for everybody. Mm-hmm. This may, And this is somebody that's helping me feel God, God's love for me. Maybe there's a place here because this isn't theoretical for Elder Troxel. Mm-hmm. He's not just reading scriptures. He is. But then he can testify from a personal standpoint and that's that testimony you've shared on the podcast and with hundreds of others that moves people to believe god loves them and there's a place for them in this church and the fourth thing it has done for you and is and it did for me is just a foundation for my future Mm -hmm. because you have this loving relation you know god you know the savior you are um have worked through really hard things to make the rest of your life possible um, I'm uncomfortable. I'm going back to a little bit about that first church experience where, we're, you know, I think the research, so some of you may be thinking of serving a mission and not know your future post-mission. That's not a requirement to serve a mission. There's lots of people that may not know exactly straight or gay how their mission life's going to ser- turn out post-mission. And so there isn't, a, I don't think there's a requirement to know for sure how that's going to work out. As long as you can help, you know, know your mission purpose, which you did, teach the doctrine of the church, which I sense you did, you're very obedient. And so it's not like you're rogue. Um, I I just think we shouldn't put additional, there's nothing, it's when we add rules that aren't there and we add new bars of being able to participate by sort of pinning you down on your future. We wouldn't do that with a straight missionary and sort of saying, are you going to, is this for sure the path you're going to take? You have to commit to that to be. Mm-hmm. So I'm just kind of trying to say, let's don't create new hurdles for people to participate in the church. Um, so those are four things that came to my mind that are real examples. I'm going to turn it back to you. Just see if there's any comments on that or any other thoughts that come to your mind. I think those four points are amazing and super important for missionaries to understand. I think one that I might add is Good. be prepared to give grace. <laughs> that's a great one. That's something my mom would tell me all of the time. She's like, Jake, I know it's hard, but you just need to give them grace. I'm like, I know, I know. I just needed to complain. She's like, I'm glad you did. Now work on giving them grace. I'm like, 
I know. And especially with these last conference talks, becoming a peacemaker, stone Latter-day Saint stone catchers. I always like to think of it like when you get hit with the stone, attach a nice letter back and throw it by them, not at them, by them. I think there was a lot of times and just getting in the habit where someone does you wrong, pray for them, pray for them in the moment. I had a companion really struggled with him, treated me like I had the plague because I was gay. He didn't really get over that while we were companions. And our relationship is still kind of strained because of it. I would pray for him every single night. And it wasn't that, please bless other so-and-so that he may have a completely opinion change and recognize that I'm right. No, please bless other so-and-so that he may feel your love. Please bless him that he may continue to be blessed with the energy that he needs to be a diligent missionary. Please bless me that I may be able to help him in whatever he needs help with. Because there is a real power when it comes for praying for those who hurt you. I mean, Jesus Christ himself invites us to do so. I think just be prepared to forgive, be prepared to give grace, and be prepared to not take offense to things. Because most of the time, people aren't trying to be offensive. Most of the time, people just kind of live in their bubble. And when their bubble gets popped, it's uncomfortable. They're introduced to new air. They're introduced to new things that they have never experienced before. Just take it slow with them because as queer members and as any queer person, as any person, we all know that we're on a journey. And a lot of times as queer members, our journeys have been really painful. Just try to look at our straight friends, not as us versus them, but us and them. There's, there's no us versus them. And we're, we're all them, we're all us. And just try to look at them like you would have looked at yourself when you're on your own journey. Because if you do that, you're going to have so much more sympathy because they are. They're, they're trying to unlearn something that's been deep-rooted in them and in the culture they grew up in for centuries. And outside of that Christian culture for millennia, I mean, this is just how the world has operated forever. And someone is trying to overcome the biases of the beginning of time and just give them grace, set appropriate boundaries, but never throw a stone back. Nothing ever good comes from it. I've thrown a few stones back and it never turns out well. I learned that lesson the hard way a few times. And then what, one more final thought, going back to the, the lady who had purple hair. <laughs> we, we were talking in her home and she goes, whenever I talk to a church leader about this, they, they just tell us to love them. No one's telling me how though. I'm being told to love, to love, to love. And I have love to give. I want to love. I want to. But I don't know how. I got, that's a great question. Let me think on that and get back to you. I think the more that I've thought about it, it that, that is a true statement because we're encouraged to love, we're encouraged to support, but we're not told how. I, I also think that's a fine line for the church to dance on. Because I, I think it, 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 there's a struggle there with being supportive and loving, but I don't, I personally don't think the church wants to release any statements to like endorse anything that doesn't comply with church doctrine. So it's a very fine line for the church to walk. And I, I understand and I respect that. I'm not upset about that at all. I think if you were to ask me that again, I'm being told to love, but I don't know how to love. Treat them like everyone else. 
If you're an adult and a youth comes out to you, treat them like they're your child. Love them, listen to them, validate them. If they ask questions, give them your opinion. Try to pray about it, pray for them, spend time with them. I think so many people are so worried that they're going to do something wrong that they end up doing nothing at all, which the best case scenario is to do something wrong and then to be better because of it. I think there's, there's a lot of apprehension in this world for just about everything, every sensitive subject, but just spend time with them, treat them like a normal human being, listen to them, listen to their concerns validate them, try to understand where they're coming from. I mean, you don't have to go and read every single article published on gay people by gay members or read every single book written by gay members. That's if you want to be my guest, like you can do that. If you, if you're feeling adventurous, just sit with them. Listen, I mean, I was in California where I grew up and there just a few weeks ago and talking to this lady at church who I just love. And she says, I need to hear everything about your life. And then I came over to her house and she just asked me questions for like an hour. I'm okay with that. Some people aren't okay with being asked extensive questions, but she just wanted to understand. She just wanted to know. And I think one final thing on the, how do I love? I think a lot of people mistake advice for love. I've been told lots of times, I'm saying this because I love you. And then I always think, well, your love is really painful because it's, I might share my thoughts. It's like, well, I personally think that I'm being led on a path to be with a man. I don't know what that looks like, but that's what I think. And then people are like, well, I'm going to say this because I love you. So don't take offense. I'm like, the offense was already taken. You don't have to say anymore. They're like, that answer came from the devil, not from Heavenly Father. And I'm saying this because I love you. Like, that love sucks. <laughs> that love really hurt just now. Please don't love me again if this is what your love feels like. Unless a queer member is directly asking you a question that would apply that answer, just don't tell them. They know the church standards. They've been barraged with them since the second they known they were queer. They've heard their family's opinions, their friends, the church leaders' opinions. If we did not know the standards, there's something be seriously wrong. Every queer member knows the standard. They do not need to be retaught them. So love does not require reteaching of standards they already know. Love comes from reading love, listening, validating, treating them like a normal human being. I think, I think that was where my last thoughts on this kind of landed. Those are great comments. And, um, and that's consistent with what your new mission leaders did. I love the, I can just imagine your mission mom sitting out there and you being brave enough to open up to her that you're gay and, and she knowing enough about the space and her companion that she said to you, he can handle that conversation. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, it's like your first bishop. He did just what you're inviting us to do in the church. He just asked you questions. Are you safe? What a great question to ask from a very intuitive priesthood leader. 
knowing yeah. the complexity. I mean, what a terrific, that sends an incredible message that he understands if he's asking you that question in one of his very first questions. And that's all it takes. And what can I do for you? And I just, it's just, a, it's not complicated like you say. Mm-mm. Um. I, I I love you, all the kind things you said about your parents. I think when I became Facebook friends, I scrolled down and watched that video. Mm. And it's a very spontaneous video. I didn't understand the backstory until right now. Yes. And um, I love that you're both your mom and dad are there. And it's very spontaneous. And sometimes coming outs are very planned and very orchestrated and... And that's good, but this was very spontaneous. And I think it's one of the first I've ever seen where both parents were kind of equally spontaneously there. Mm-hmm. And it's just, a, I think it's one of the, your family's finest moments in this very unscripted but beautiful moment. Um, and so I just think that's a great part of your story. I love the idea that personal revelation is personal revelation. It's not my role as a rank and file member to judge your personal revelation. It's my job to honor your personal revelation. So listeners, I just, with my queer um, Latter-day Saint friends, always invite them to follow church teachings, but also say, I'll walk with you without judgment on the road that you feel is best for you. Mm -hmm. And I won't make you the hero one day and the villain one day. I'll just recognize that you're um, a wonderful daughter, son of God, and and my job, at least the way I read the doctrine, is my job is to love. And perfect love casteth out fear. And I'll just walk with you as you make your way forward. I've always felt like we're called to be gatherers and not sifters. Um, so what can we do to gather, including, I talk about this quite a bit, President Nelson talks about the gathering of Israel. And that is the people in Canada. Um, that you help come unto Christ. And mm-hmm. to me, the gathering is also our own members. Totally. And uh, particularly for this platform, Queer Latter-day Saints, for they need to be gathered. Mm-hmm. And you talked about, and particularly some of these companions and members where you felt gathered, that priesthood blessing from that companion that just gave you his confidence enough in who he is and not weirded out by having a gay companion that he just gave you this hug. Yeah. It was a moment of beauty and grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ and healing. And, and those to me represent the gathering of Israel because you are Israel mm-hmm. and he is Israel. And Zion to me is not sameness, but it's unity in purpose. And, and what you and your, I guess all your companions were straight, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, were able to accomplish because of some of those differences there and reach more people is a beautiful part of missionary work and made possible because you felt impressed to be out. We will link in the show notes to Jacob's Instagram, his Facebook, his email in case you want to reach out. Um, we just invite you to act on the impressions you felt. Um, if you're queer or if you're an ally or local church leader to what you can do and what you should do. And we just hope this podcast is helpful to help create Zion. Any closing thoughts, Jacob? Please reach out. Like, I'm not going to promise that I'm going to respond right away, but I will respond. Like, I would love if you wanted to talk and maybe hear some of the experiences. Maybe I can hear your experiences. Maybe I can hear some of the things you've been through. 
Because whether or not you're looking for advice, I know what it feels like just to find someone who knows what it's like. And sometimes being with someone or just having a friend that understands what you've been through is leagues more helpful than getting any advice. So if you need a friend who gets it and is willing to listen or just need a friend who understands what it's like to be you, I'm more than willing to be that friend because I love you. I know God loves you. We're all children of God. We're all in this together. Um, thank you, Jacob, for being on the podcast. You're really thoughtful, mature, articulate um, disciple of Christ. And you've had this really unique mission where your boundaries were Edmonton. Is that the right mission, Edmonton? Yeah. But in some ways, it's scaled, you know, to be a support system for other LGBTQ missionaries, probably all that were closeted, but you became a safe person. And I think that's just an example of the rest of your life is that you will continue to be bold and brave. You've got to get on with your life and get your college degree. But if you came back on the podcast every 10 years, I bet you'd have equally um, sometimes choppy experiences, but really unique experiences. And maybe that's one of them to bring people unto Christ. And I read this quote a lot. <laughs> um, uh, minister service, and you've been a minister, full-time missionary, will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by the suffering about which he speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led of a desert by someone who's never been there. Mm. So you know the desert. Mm -hmm. You falsely concluded that... Um, not only do not I have a testimony of God, but I have a testimony he doesn't love me because of how I feel. And you know the desert of wondering what it's like to be queer um, and Latter-day Saint. And you've, now as you've navigated that desert and um, as you've shared in this podcast, you are uniquely qualified to bring hope and healing to people in that same desert or sister deserts. Because um, you get what it's like to be marginalized. You get the need to have a savior in your life. and You get the need and understand that God absolutely perfectly loves you. And you have a great life of you, you, Elder Troxel. I'm still calling you Elder because it's only been three <laughs> weeks. I think there's a rule in the church you can call someone Elder or Sister for like a month after they've been released. I'll take it as long as I can. <laughs> and if any of you are listening that are queer and serving, um, I, we just hope this podcast is helpful for you as you're hearing um, Jacobs. And we pray for you that you'll be continued to stain you're warriors, you're brave, you're trailblazers in our church. There's just a few of you that are out. Um, not everybody needs to be out, but we pray for you. And this is Richard Oster and Jacob Troxel signing off another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>